And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get ready to podcast! If you're going to go stick your head in the sand like that, get out of the sport. Mike Coppinger. It's creating a huge mess. It's absurd. No, you're wrong. So, this, the only, seems the only like a cash grab. You need to turn up and you need to be on it. We just started going at it. You got to go eat. The Pug and Cop Boxing Show on The Athletic. Hey, everyone. Hope you had a great weekend. Back with another episode of the Pug and Cop Boxing Show. I'm your host, Mike Coppinger, alongside Lance Pugmire of The Athletic. And is once again opening day for the Mets. So lots to look forward to there and a lot to look forward to on the boxing schedule. We have a big Showtime card on Saturday, and that's probably the first time I've said that in a long time with Sergey Lipinets against Jerron Boutanis. Love that fight. We're going to be joined by Boutanis himself to talk about his rise, his first real test, and a lot more. We're going to talk about the Ryan Garcia-Javier Fortuna fight and then lots of action from Uzbekistan on Saturday. And then, of course, the fight in Dubai with Jamel Herring and the career-defining victory over Carl Frampton, and then, of course, the ensuing retirement from Frampton. So if you haven't already, please, we appreciate it. Like, subscribe, rate, review, all that is great. And now let's get right into the show. Lance, I can't believe it. I was so ready and excited on Friday for Mets opening day, and then Nationals couldn't just follow their COVID protocols, apparently. Outbreak. Here we are again with opening day part two. Padres, though, have already been in action. Very excited about their success. They obviously will start with uh, taking three or four against the lowly uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. And Mike, you got to be excited about your team. I think you're like one of the uh, top four or five uh, favorite teams in the National League, if I'm not mistaken. And you've got a big opportunity to win that tough division. And you've got to be happy with uh, what you saw from the uh, Phillies sweeping the Braves in the first uh, uh, weekend. So um, I think off to a good start. Anytime that you can uh, get the favored uh, team to be in some uh, dire straits early on, you know, I think that that's a good sign about uh, what lies before you. With the pitching you have and, and some of the hitting throughout that lineup, I think you're in good shape, honestly. You've got to be pumped. Yeah, pumped for sure. Um, always a little, you know, cautiously optimistic as a Mets fan, but team looks really good. A lot of injuries right now in the rotation, missing Carlos uh, Carrasco and, of course, uh, Noah Syndergaard but they should be back in May and then it'll be all systems go. And it's been all systems go on the boxing schedule. And I think it's been a really good run over these last couple of weeks and it's only getting better as we head into uh, April and May right now. Uh, good card from Dubai on Saturday, Jamel Herring. I thought he looked fantastic. I, I thought it would be a really close fight. I didn't know who was going to win. I thought it was a coin flip. Turns out it wasn't a coin flip because Herring dominated. I gave Frampton, I think one round and the most impressive thing to me was that Herring was just sharpshooting in there. Very accurate with his shots. Very fluid and smooth. Um, definitely fought very confident. Used all of his size. And a great game plan by uh, his trainer, Bomack. So Herring now really gained a lot of footing, especially off of that lackluster performance where his heart was questioned the last summer. This time he has another bad cut over the same eye and he fought right through it. And I, you spoke to him, right? 
Yeah, I spoke to him right after the fight. I mean, like like you've talked about, we talked about on the podcast, Mike. I mean, both of those guys are such uh, sensational gentlemen. And for Jamel Herring, I knew he had the opportunity. I knew because I was dealing with one of his publicists, and she was giving him a way out, you know, to avoid it. But Jamel Herring is such a uh, a good guy. He picked up the phone a few hours after this fight and talked to me for about a half an hour about you know everything that went right in that fight how determined he was to right the wrongs of his, uh, you know, his victory, but a highly criticized victory over Okendo. And I thought like what you said and uh, mentioning the name of his trainer, Brian Bomack uh, McIntyre, these guys looked at that and they said, we know exactly what Frampton's going to do. He's going to, you know, he's going to look at the way that we did not respond well to the pressure against Okendo and he's going to try to pressure us. And they had an answer it from it, uh, to that from the start. I mean, you saw it even in the second round where Bomack was kind of going nuts saying this is exactly what we want when Frampton was bringing the, bringing the heat. And, and Herring was just so much bigger. I mean, he used those, the, the, I think he's five inches taller and he's got a seven inch reach advantage. I mean, he looks so big. I was talking to one uh, boxing follower who said when Herring was standing in front of Frampton uh, from the camera, camera angle, you couldn't even see Frampton uh, on the other side. And, and look, if you've got that kind of size advantage and you know what to do with it, you know, again, Jamel Herring at age 35 and already standing as a world champion, he executed perfectly. He actually walked down, um, uh, Carl Frampton and that, that uppercut that he unleashed in the, uh, in the uh, sixth round was phenomenal. Did you see how Straight Carl Frampton? From hell. Yes. Did you see the way Frampton responded to that? It was like a tree. <laughs> and Herring just stood his ground in there, really got his shots off, was turning Frampton. Just, you know, we knew Frampton was on the back nine, but this fight showed, and no discredit at all to Herring. Herring fought a great fight and took care of him in dominant fashion. But Frampton is clearly a shell of his former self, and I'm glad he's retiring because he has nothing left at this point. You wonder, um, so. you wonder, Mike, uh, in that moment when he was, you know, was having those good moments and then he got knocked down by Herring, you know, I know it's a, it's a sad thought, but still you would like to have known exactly what his thinking was because at that point you've got to be thinking, oh shit, I've mentioned that I'm retired, you know, with a loss here and certainly you're staring defeat right in the face right now. So how devastating that must have been mentally on Carl Frampton. And then to, you know, like you say, take that shot from hell and have to get up. And he did try to fight from that moment. But, it, you know, Jamal Her Jamal Herring was just uh, relentless to finish him off. It was uh, it was something to see. And I think anytime that you see a man redeem himself, it's uh, something to behold. Yeah, because a lot of credit to Herring again, because like we said, Frampton was really getting in there, getting inside, using head movement, landing some big short shots on the inside. That's where Frampton's game is. And Herring put an end to all that. With I think it was a maybe a left hook that dropped him a counter shot before the uppercut finished thing, started to finish things off in the sixth yeah. round. So, you know, um, great fight, great performance from Herring. He really solidifies himself as a player in that 130-pound division. And... We, you know, we're going to see where he goes from here. But Lance, I wanted to talk about it real quick because there was a lot of talk on Saturday and Sunday about the 130-pound landscape and the rankings there. And, you know, it's a great division. It really is. I, I jotted down some quick rankings here. Let's go over them real quick. That's cool with you. Yeah. So I think number one is Trevante Tank Davis. I know some people have Oscar Valdez number one, but to me, it's got to be Tank. Tank is, you know, the best 
I would say the best, most accomplished fighter in the division. He's coming off a win over Leo Santa Cruz at 130 pounds. He has the win over Jose Pedraza, and he's been a dominant fighter. So for me, Tank Davis, number one. What do you think? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I guess my question is, you know, like right now, given where Gervonta Davis stands with, uh, you know, the legal situation he's in with that car crash, and then also, will he return to fight in this division? As long as I knew that, the, you know, that he would be back in this division in short order, I would be very excited about him participating in some of these fights. I'm just not sure it's going to happen, especially when you talk about the wealth of talent that's at 135. But, you know, clearly considering um, that his last fight was in this division, I think you do have to rank him number one because he's actually uh, Miguel Burchelt plus when it comes to the power and the boxing ability. He is something beyond what Miguel Burchelt was. And even though Oscar Valdez beat Miguel Burchelt, I don't. I would not pick him against uh, Tank Davis for sure. Yeah, I mean Tank Davis would be a massive favorite over Valdez. Um, but yeah, look, if Tank Davis's next fight is at 135, or like we you know reported a couple, of, you know, reported a little while back before the legal troubles really came into the clar- uh, into clarity. You know that he was in the he was um, being set up for a fight with Mario Barrios at 140, so that would remove him from the rankings too. Yeah. But for now, Tank Davis, number one at 130 pounds. Moving on, number two, I have Oscar Valdez. I think that's pretty clear. Number three, I'm going to put Jamel Herring there after this win over to Carl Frampton. And, you know, like I said, a good performance there. He's been a t- champion for a long time now. Yeah, Mike. I mean, I think the question with Jamel is, is what is he going to do? I mean, because in his com- comments to me afterward, he really put the emphasis on wanting to stand as the lineal 130-pound champion. And obviously, that would require him to fight Oscar Valdez and to vacate his WBO belt because he is supposed to fight Shakur Stevenson, who obviously has some kind of connection to you know that camp with uh, with Bomac and it being friends with Terrence Crawford and everything like that. They're they're not. I guess they're not as close as a lot of people think, but they all are still somewhat close. And I could see as a courtesy step and then trying to fulfill his his own destiny that he does vacate that WBO belt. So that's going to be an interesting decision on Jamel's well, part. Well, to be fair, Lance, I mean I'd have to go back and trace the lineage. I don't. Valdez is not the lineal champion now. I don't think at all. So I don't see how that will be for the lineal championship. Um, you know, could you argue that Valdez Herring decides the top guy in the division? Sure, you could decide that. I guess you could. That, that's up for debate, though. Um, and then we saw Jamel Herring call, talk about the ring belt on the broadcast, but Tank Davis is number one in the ring rankings too. So he could not fight for the vacant ring belt against Valdez without Tank Davis being removed. <laughs> maybe it's his own definition of the lineal belt. Maybe, yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, you know, I understand that him and Shakur are friendly, but Shakur Stevenson has made no bones about you know wanting to fight either Herring or Valdez. He wants to fight the best. So, um, number four, I have Jojo Diaz. I would have him higher, but he is coming off the draw and also didn't make way for his last fight. So, I probably would have had him three if he had made way for the last fight and won. Yeah. Um, but for now, number four. Uh, number five, I have Tevin Farmer, who Jojo beat in a close fight in January. And, you know, he had a couple of title defenses before that. I think Tevin is still a, a good name in the division, a very slick, uh, good fighter. And I, I think, yeah, I think he'll be back. Hopefully he gets a fight sooner than later. Um, number six, I have Shakur Stevenson. And I think that's where it gets a little more tricky, Lance. Shakur, you could argue maybe that, you know, he hasn't really fought any real competition at 130 pounds yet, but I am taking into consideration his, um, you know, his title win at 126 and just his 
obvious otherworldly ability. And then seven, I have Miguel Burchelt. Just real quick, Mike, on that point, I think it's absolutely, I I understand what you're doing because I've done these rankings before, but I think that if uh, Shakur Stevenson was fighting anyone up and two, um, Gervonta Davis, I would pick him against uh, any of those guys that was that was named before him, you know. But I know that's not not what your ranking is based on. It's based on you know where these guys are standing right now. But Shakur is uh, such a talent, and I can't wait to see, um, as you you've reported about, you know, I can't wait to see what he looks like in these tougher fights that he definitely deserves. Right. So I don't know if you agree because I, I could see an argument for having Burchelt in front of Shakur, but Burchelt is coming off a a knock a brutal knockout loss and. I'm fine with I, that. You know, yeah. No, I'm fine with that. Uh, so, Burchelt, seven. I have Shafkat Rakamov, number eight. Rakamov coming off that draw with Jojo Diaz. Very yeah. good fighter. Very I think good. He, I would like to see him get another big opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be fighting Japan's uh, Kanichi Ogawa next for that vacant title. So, oh, great. he'll probably be a champion soon. Mm-hmm. Nine, I love this guy. I think he's a great talent. Chris Colbert of Brooklyn. Um, Colbert's a guy that could easily be the top guy in his division it's in short order if he gets the right fights, I think. And... You know, could be a pound for pound guy in the near future. Um, fantastic fighter, smooth athlete, really slick boxer, has some pop too. And he's coming off a victory over Jaime Arboleda. And hopefully he gets a bigger fight soon too. He's with PBC. The only thing I worry about him, Mike, what do you think of this? Is that, you know, he's so uh, he's so uh, willing to expose himself to shots. And I just think when you're taking on the world-class talent, you just you just can't be so willing to that. You have to tend to your defense a little bit more. Any thoughts on that subject? Yeah, I think you could definitely pay attention more to the defense. Um, but, you know, I, I think for a lot of these guys, it's just a matter of they're not having the right fights. They need the right fights to prove themselves, right? Like how many of these guys have actually fought each other, even though we're talking about this deep division? Yeah. Um, and the number 10, I think this is a no-brainer. Roger Gutierrez has come off that really nice performance against Rene Alvarado, career best victory. So it's a really solid top 10, Lance. Totally solid. I mean, that division is so stacked from top to bottom. I'm glad that you'll be uh, uh, running something uh, on those rankings because um, it's a division that deserves a lot of attention. There is so much talent there. And, you know, where it's going to go and how it's going to develop, Mike, over the next couple of years is going to be fascinating, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't wait to see what happens. I I hope we get the fights we need here, particularly for guys like Shakur Stevenson and Chris Colbert and also Tank Davis if he's going to stay in the division. So, you know, lots to be excited about there. And we will have a story on The Athletic this week. Also, joining your story that you ran today um, about Jamel Herring and his big win. And then again, we hope Carl Frampton stays retired, although I do think he will. He seems pretty genuine in knowing that the end is here. So, well, that's um, it was nice to have a big fight in the Middle East, even though there were no fans. And there was a good undercard, too, uh, in terms of, you know, top prospects. Keyshawn Davis looks really good again, his second fight. He's considered the top guy in Team USA. And then we also had Kulikmet, that 154-pounder with that vicious first-round knockout. So some good talent. What do you think about Keyshawn Davis? Is this a guy that could be fighting for a title sooner than later? Yes, absolutely. And it's so exciting. It's so cool that there, uh, you know, that this has been allowed, you know, with the Olympics uh, being put on pause, that he can uh, participate as a pro. And now we've, you know, you know, usually it's like with Oscar De La Hoya and Sugar Ray Leonard, there was some knowledge of these guys heading into the Olympics, but not really. Now, you know, the, the fight fans at least have gotten a good look at Keyshawn Davis. Obviously, you, you see some significant talent. And 
you know, what this sport has long needed. We haven't, you know, not having a, a gold medal winner on the male side since Andre Ward in 2004. We need someone coming out of the Olympics who's really kind of going to create a lot of buzz and create a, a lot of excitement. And no doubt about it that Davis is, is the kind of guy who's going to be able to do that when you uh, consider his talent and charisma, correct? Yeah, absolutely, Lance. I mean, he's already a very mature fighter for such a young guy. I mean, he's only a second pro fight. So I hope they keep him active and keep getting more and more fights. All right, Lance, let's take a real quick pause here as we hear from one of our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yes, Lance, we also had a big card in, uh, filled with talent on Saturday in Uzbekistan. And I thought the most impressive performance came from Gyasov, the 140-pounder. Um, you know, lives in Brooklyn now, looks really good, 11 fights, 11 to know, a lot of char- a lot of charisma there, big power. That was a great performance. Uh, I know one of your favorites, MJ Akhmadaliev, uh, he looked really good as well. Obviously, poor stoppage. I mean, yes, he was, he looked like he was well on his way to victory, but it was like he was landing a million jabs and that jab is a weapon. It's impressive, but just a bad stoppage. And then finally, Israel Madrimov, you know, we've all been high on him for a while now, supremely athletic, gifted fighter in the ring, but there seems to be something missing at least so far. I think he needs a bit more seasoning. Doesn't seem to be fighting too well on the inside, right? You see a lot of shoving on the inside rather than just going to work. Yeah. But uh, what was your, what were your takeaways there? I mean, I agree with you, Mike. I mean, I'm definitely high on Madrimov, and I think you know his 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 management and the people around him have also been very high on him. But with the the performance that I saw on Saturday against Colombo, definitely left a lot to be desired. I mean, he got hit when we were talking about Colbert getting hit. Madrimov got hit a lot, and even though he won this uh, fight by a wide decision, you have to tend to that defense if you're going to want to be a world champion in that division. So, look, the, a lot of work remains for uh, uh, the trainers jo- Joel Diaz and Julio Diaz to um, do there. And, look, with Akhmadalov, I thought, you know, look, I, I know what you're saying, and I saw some of those uh, criti- critiques of the stoppage, but he clearly was, like, dominating that fight. He did very well. Uh, really, you know, when he sensed that his uh, opponent was uh, not dealing well with the the pressure, he just continued to keep him under duress. And this guy's like a nonstop punching machine. I love, you know, his presence there at 122 pounds. 
Uh, it'd be so cool if we could get something, uh, you know, done with him. And in a way, I know it's something that's probably going to be set on the back burner uh, for a while. But uh, tremendous performance, like we said last week. Very nice of uh, uh, match room to be able to get these guys back home for a homecoming fight while they can right now during the pandemic. Can't wait to see these guys get back in the states and and resume their careers because they're uh, they're tremendous uh, young talents. And, um, you know, so distinguished and so uh, willing to uh, pay the hard dues in the gyms in the gym to make themselves so much better. So um, just can't can't uh, wait uh, for all of these guys to continue their careers just, you know, based on what we saw, especially with MJ. Yeah, and it's I, I do find it funny, though. Gyasov is really the guy that's you know the least about. Right. He's never really fought much in U.S. television. Yeah. He's an Olympic silver medalist and being at 140 pounds. That's such a loaded division. Hopefully he's going to get a big fight soon fight that means something but now all, Lance- these, all these guys mike you know i not to cut you off i'm sorry all these guys you know that's what they're all about they're all about like uh uh forcing forcing the action taking on the uh the toughest fights as soon as they can so i'm sure they'll get there sooner rather than later based on their mindset and their handling yeah lance and speaking of rising stars we're going to be talking now to Jerron boots ennis it's been a long time coming for you i know you've wanted a big fight for a long time finally on saturday you have it Showtime Championship Boxing main event against Sergey Lipinets. And I personally think Lipinets is one of the most underrated fighters in the sport. He gave Mikey Garcia a good fight. So this is a great test for you. What are you excited to show everybody about you? Um, well, I, I mean, like like I said before, I, it's, I know he's a, he a great fighter, but at the end of the day, uh, I'm on a different level right now. And I thank him for taking this fight, but this fight right here going to put me on the next level and, uh, you know, to, to the elite guys. And, uh, and on Saturday night, y'all going to see me being sharp on point, having fun and, uh, you know, making big statements and getting a knockout at the end of the night. Yeah, Boots. I, I know a lot of you fighters like to manufacture criticism, but I haven't seen one person say one negative word about you yet. seems like everyone's in agreement that you're the goods. So do you think there is people that, that take shots at you? Because I haven't seen it. Uh, I mean, it's probably, it's people out there here and there, but you never really hear too many uh, things about me because you know uh, I'm not you know I don't really talk too much. You know I do my talking in the ring, and I ain't for the, the going back and forth on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. You see me, you know, I'm, I'm I want rumble. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and you know, real quick, your name is you know people know you as Boots. Where does that nickname come from? I've always wondered. Uh, just. Uh, when I was younger, my original nickname was Boops, B-O-O-P-S, and that my mom gave me that nickname, and I was just, you know, as a young kid playing around that gym, uh, rolling around, throwing, you know, throwing stuff, and my dad was saying, stop Boops, uh, or stop doing that, or come here uh, and, say, and say Boops, and, and at the end of the day, they, uh, the people at the gym was thinking they, they were saying Boops, like the shoes, so we just changed it and kept it like that, and yeah, it stuck with me. <coughs> Yeah, until until you're a world champion, Jaron. I mean, there's going to be lessons to learn, and like Mike was saying, the test of Sergey Lipinets is is definitely genuine. I mean, you're talking about a rugged guy who's going to bring a lot of pressure, and really, I, I think at this stage of his career, like he, like Mike said, losing to Mikey Garcia, there's probably some desperation to him as well that he needs to win this fight. So dealing with all that, is that something you're looking forward to that challenge, and, and how do you deal with that? Um. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, like like I said before, I know he's gonna be right there in front of me, and he's gonna come forward, and that's telling me for my style, you know, 
and he's going to be running the shots all night long. And I feel like it's just going to be me in there doing my thing and being dominant and having fun. And, and him fighting uh, Mikey Garcia and uh, those other guys that he fought, you, got, you, you guys got to remember, he fought Mikey Garcia. And Mikey Garcia is a 135-pounder. I'm fighting forty. I'm gonna fight forty-seven since I turned pro, and I really should have been fighting fifty-two in the amateur. So I, oh. I mean, it's it's different. I'm a different type of fighter. I'm I'm fast, strong. I do it all, and uh, and they they gonna see. Uh, I'm not Mikey Garcia. I'm a whole different fighter. I'm I'm bigger, faster, stronger, smarter. You know, uh, but you know, like I said before, I take my head off to him for taking this fight, but. Uh, we gotta get in the ring, and and it's my it's my time. Like I said before, it's my time to go to that that next level. Yeah, absolutely. For any uh, of our listeners who have never you know seen Jaron Boots on his fight, you know I urge you to tune in to Showtime on Saturday night because I know the first time I saw you after being uh, referred to you by your manager Cameron Duncan, and he described you as Roy Jones Jr. with even more power. How did this how did this type of talent develop for you? How did you do it? How did you get here? Um, just you know, uh, being all around the right people. Uh, uh both my brothers were professional boxers, Derek Poole Ennis and Friday Quiet Storm Ennis. Uh, my dad was a former boxer, so I, my skills and my skill set and skills came from you know my my dad and both my brothers. I'm a mixture of all three of them together in one, and uh, and they made this monster right here. <laughs> yeah, uh, as as fighters, who did you look to as role models to emulate? Was it was it Roy? Was there other uh, some other guys? Uh, well, besides my brothers and uh, my dad, uh, I watched uh, Rory coming up. That's my favorite fighter. Uh, you know, uh, Pernell and Floyd. Yeah, Jerron, you you know you are as part of a boxing family, like you said. You have your father Bozy, your brothers Derek Puenis and Farah Ennis, and they were you know all solid fighters, contenders, fought on ESPN a lot of times. You have the hype around you to be a star, and obviously they didn't make it to that level. Do you feel like you're doing it for them too? I mean, uh, I'm doing it for yeah. I'm doing it for my family. Period. It's, it's uh, I'm trying to take you know my last name to the the next level and be you know go down as history and as a great and I take my last name with me. So uh, yeah, I feel like I'm doing it for them and also for me too because just you know it's a dream come true for all of us. You're also a, a rare fighter these days from the city of Philadelphia, once probably the most prominent city in boxing for boxing in the U.S. Now it's been like hit or miss. Obviously, Danny Garcia, but he's, you know, probably on the, the second part of his career now. You obviously have Bernard Hopkins. But right now, really, you're the top guy from Philadelphia by a mile. Uh, what does it mean to you to try to bring back boxing in a big way to the city of brotherly love? I mean, uh, well, first of all, you know, you, we have uh, uh, Stephen Fulton, uh, cool boy Steph. He's a, you know, he's a world champion from Philadelphia. He's doing his thing right now. But, uh, yeah, I feel like... Uh, uh, we leading the way and uh, putting Philly on our back, and I feel like Philly gonna have you know some a lot of more champions coming up, and I feel like I'm the next one that's gonna be a champion from Philadelphia very soon. Yeah, apologies to to Stephen uh, Fulton. I did forget to name him. He's a great fighter. He had a nice win in January against Angelo Leo to win out a 122 pound title, and he already took umbrage with me saying on Saturday that Akwadalia is the number one guy at 122. So no disrespect intended. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, Boots, speaking of Philadelphia, you were just, uh, yet on Sunday, you were at the game against, I think it was the Raptors maybe. No, um, uh, they played the Memphis Grizzlies yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. The Grizzlies. Yeah. So you were there and you, can you talk about what you did there? 
Uh, just you know, fun experience. Uh, shout out to you know Showtime and 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 the Sixers for having me and everybody else that was there. And uh, I just had my family there with me, and uh, you know, I just was I rung the bell at the Sixers game, and you know, they, they announced me on a loudspeaker and uh, on the big screen and stuff like that. You know, just a little chill vibe, and you know, like I said before, all the hard work done. So I just was relaxing at the uh, Sixers game, chilling. You know. The first thing that comes to my mind, Jaron, when I watch you fight is that you're so talented is that I can just see it coming where the elite welterweights are going to try to avoid you to, you know, probably maximum to the maximum level. Are you concerned about that as you, you know, take on, go to this fight and go beyond um, that, you know, maybe Spence or Terrence Crawford or whoever it is, is going to say like, who's that, you know, like and act like you don't exist or, or try to avoid you? I mean, uh, I don't think they're going to say who's that guy. They know who I am. And uh, uh, I just feel like uh, after this fight, I feel like me doing my thing and making a statement, uh, there's no way they can, uh, you know, just uh, not not give me a chance or a shot. Uh, I know I got to work my way up there, and that's what I'm doing right now. And, and this is going to be the start of me working my way up to, the, uh, to, to grab one of those belts and be able to have a world title shot. Uh, so... At the uh, Saturday night, it's only up from here, and I, and especially if I do it in a you know spectacular fashion and, and making a big statement by getting a knockout, I feel like it's going to boost everything uh, up for me. The rankings, uh, superstardom, uh, maybe even a pay per view star uh, in the near future. So I feel like this this the one for me right here, and I and I can't wait. There's no doubt about it that you have the full backing of the of the premium cable network Showtime, and obviously that means a lot. Do you need to be aligned with one of the power promoters, whether it be PBC or Top Rank, to get those fights, or do you think you're fine where you're at right now? Uh, I think I'm fine where, I, where I'm at right now. I feel like everything's going uh, going great, and we're just going to keep taking it uh, one step at a time, and you know, keep pushing forward. Yeah. So, Boots, obviously, like you said, you come from a boxing family, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the development process because we see in boxing now, especially from the Eastern Bloc, a lot of fighters fighting for titles in their first 10 fights, a lot of fast-tracking going on. Do you feel like, because it seems to me that you were ready for a title fight maybe even a year or two ago, but you went more of the traditional route, and I know a lot of that wasn't by design probably, where you know guys not wanting to fight you. But do you think you would have been ready maybe even two years ago for a Lippinets type? Uh, most definitely. Uh, I'll be, like I said before, we both was, I mean, we, uh, we was trying to get these fights for maybe two, two and a half years and trying to get undefeated guys trying to get the top 10, top five guys in the ring. And, you know, it was hard. I was going through uh, 15, 20 opponents each fight probably in the last two years. So it just uh, – yeah, but I'm, in the last two years, but 20 times each, you know, each fight I had. So I probably went, went through over, like, 100 opponents within my last fights. Uh, but, yeah, just, you know, just that's it. <laughs> Yeah, this seems to be the year where a lot of the the next crop of rising stars are getting their first real tests. We had Ryan Garcia fight Luke Campbell in January. We had Virgil Ortiz fight Maurice Hooker last month. And we have Devin Hayden fighting Jorge Linares in May. And then now you this week against Sergey Lipinets. Who do you think is going to be standing tall when the dust settles, except for yourself? Um. Well, yeah, I say, of course me. But like, what do you mean? A lightweight division? Or just uh, period, and for, you know, period. I know you're. I know you're a student of the game. When you look at the boxing landscape right now, who stands out to you as the young guys, like the really young guys? 
Um, I mean, I, I say myself, but uh, <laughs> I mean, everybody, you know, everybody, all the young players coming, they all, they all great, they all, you know, sharp, smart. I feel like the young guys, we taking over right now, and uh, it's time for you know the older guys to you know get out of the way. <laughs> I'm not sure you can talk about this, Jaron, and obviously, um, you know, part of the reason that you were sidelined a little bit was this legal challenge about who's going to represent you. Uh, between Cameron Duncan and Chris Mindorf. Has that has there been any clarification on that? Um, and will there be any further distraction or hindrance to your career resuming? Uh, I can't speak on it right now, but, uh, you know, just everything pushing forward. We, you know, we stand focused and focusing on this fight. Yeah. Is that, has that been part of like the mental challenge of boxing, the, the biggest mental challenge that you've had to deal with is, is how you navigate you know, that whole legal mess, and even though you want to be in the ring as, as much as possible? Uh, at the end of the day, I just focus on myself and, you know, and my team and just get better each and every time I fight. And that's the main goal, to get better, get smarter, get sharper, and uh, focus on myself and uh, so I can be prepared, well prepared for all my fights. <clears throat> what What do you think we'll see this fight that we haven't seen from you yet? Um, Like I said before, the better my opponent. Uh, the better I'm going to be. And I finally got a guy that, you know, that has a name. So y'all will see a lot of things. Uh, it's, it, I can't pinpoint one thing, but y'all going to see a lot of th a lot of great things from me. And I can't wait to have some fun on Saturday night. It's it's going to be a, a great night. Yeah, I, I can see how excited you are already. I can only <laughs> imagine. You've been waiting so long for this. Um, and as Lance mentioned, the, the legal stuff, it's certainly a boxing rite of passage. You wouldn't be a boxer of any kind of substance if you didn't have some kind of legal battle. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, Lipinets, like I said, I think he's very underrated and he's a guy that I think can help you show a lot of your tools. He's very, he's very tough. He applies a lot of pressure. He's a former kickboxing champion and he's just a rugged guy in there. Made Lamont Peterson quit. Uh, like I said, gave a good effort against Mikey Garcia and you know how boxing goes, whether it's fair or not people are going to compare you to Mikey Garcia after this fight. How mm -hmm. important is it that you get a stoppage? Uh, I mean, we don't go in there looking for it, but if it come, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to take the opportunity, you know, to get him out of here. You know, when I see somebody here, I, I'm going for the kill. But um, I feel like a stoppage would be a big statement to the welterweight division in the boxing world. And like I said before, I feel like my, uh, my rankings is going to go up. Uh, everything is going well. Rankings, you know, uh, superstar on the fans, having a great fan base behind me, I, you know, uh, just everything. I just feel like everything is going to go up. <clears throat> yeah, it's, and it's funny. I mentioned earlier that Cameron Duncan was the one telling uh, him about you. Same for me. I remember where I was. I was in Hoboken, New Jersey in 2016 in my apartment, a little studio, when Cameron called me to tell me that he had the next big thing in boxing. And, you know, we hear this from managers all the time. So you always take it with a grain of salt. But Cameron said, no, I'm telling you, this is the best guy I've ever had. And obviously, he had Terrence Crawford. Cameron was actually the one who told me about Terrence Crawford, too, before Terrence fought on HBO or anything else. So um, is that, do you like having that kind of pressure on you? Does that help you perform? I mean, that stuff don't bother me. Uh, you know, you know, uh, having when people say great things about me, uh, I hear it. But, you know, it go in one ear and go out the, uh, out the other. And But I appreciate all the great things that everybody been saying about me and what I'm going to do. Or even they, even they, some of the haters that is out there, I appreciate y'all because y'all just going, y'all only going, you know, make me better and uh, continue to keep progressing uh, each and every fight. Yeah, 
uh, career high payday for you on Saturday, which obviously is nice and more hype than ever before. Are you noticing now that people are coming out of the woodwork, hitting you up for tickets and other stuff? Uh, I mean, it always been <laughs> like that, but I mean, I'm, I'm just more? getting like, it's a little more, yeah, I'm getting a little bit more attention and I don't mind it. You know, uh, it's, it's only helping me at the end of the day. It's, it's building me up you know, to, to be a pay-per-view star, a great elite fighter and, you know, you obviously are ready. Uh, I'm, I expect to win on Saturday night. Um, and you said you would be ready to fight one of the champions. But as you know, the reality of the business is, is you may be fighting like someone like a veteran or maybe even a former champion next. When you consider the, some of the names out there, whether it be, they be some, maybe someone like Keith Thurman, is there someone that you specifically want next in victory? Um, just I just want, uh, like I said before, fight the best, all the best fighters and all the great fighters. Um, if I can't get, you know, one of the champions, uh, I'll take, you know, anybody in the top three or five that uh, that can help me get to be able to fight those world champions and, you know, get my, my name buzzing a little more. So, and you know, and just ahead of fans, you know, the fans see me fight a top three guy and then maybe well, after this one, after I fight this one, then, then I fight a, a top three guy or a top five guy. And then maybe fans will talk a little more, and then maybe I will, you know, get a shot at the end of 2021. But I definitely think I will get a shot at the end of the year. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and one of the things, uh, Jaron, it's obviously you need a lot of confidence to survive in this game. But I think you also, you know, have to be your own worst critic at times, too. When you look at your overall game, what are the things that you maybe beat yourself up over and say, like, I need to be better at this or I need to do this better? Um. Well, at every fight, uh, you know, I come home and watch my uh, watch the fight. Uh, within probably you know a couple hours and you know check check out what I've done wrong and I always to me I, I don't ever think I give myself a good grade I always think I can uh -huh. be better and I know myself you know you, you know you always your own worst critic so I always think I could be better and uh, get better that's why I always write to my fights I get right back in the gym on Monday you know and just uh just correct things or you know just just tighten things up and just go in there and be a, be a, be great. And that's how you're going to be a great fighter and, uh, you know, be around the sport a long time. You just can't, you can't, you, you just can't believe in your own hype. You got to yeah. always stay focused and uh, stay humble, uh, you know, and stay in your own lane. Yeah. Jaron, when you finally found out that it was on for sure that you were getting the Showtime championship boxing main event against a, a you know, a top real guy, what was your reaction? Uh, I just you know me being casual as I always be you know I'm late uh, cool back I'm late you know chill back so you know but uh, when I heard I heard I was fighting the, for the main event and fighting a top guy I was a uh, you know I was happy I saw this I've been waiting for this for a very long time and I finally got it so it just you know it just made me made me real excited real happy and camp been going great and I just can't wait to fight this Saturday. <laughs> Lastly, for me, when you watch tape of Lipinets, what do you see that kind of impresses you? And maybe, you know, I, some, I know everyone respects him and gives him credit, but what does he maybe do better than people even realize? Um, well, I, I don't watch tape on guys that I, you know, fight or not. That. Uh, I let my dad in my corner and uh, the rest of, you know, my dad and my other corner guy, L, and, you know, my brothers and stuff like that, and everybody around me, I let them watch him. Uh, there's no need for me to watch because I'll break. Uh, you know, break them down when I get in there uh, and uh, adjust when I get in there. But from what they say is, you know, he's right in front of me and uh, he's going to come forward and 
you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a long night for him. So I'm sure there's something I'm missing. And the reason I asked that question too, is because I wanted to see if you were different, but almost every fighter we have on this show gives us the same answer. They don't watch tape, but I don't understand that. And again, you guys know better than me. What's the reasoning behind it? I mean, all the elite fighters don't really watch tape on, right. on guys because, you know, like I said before, just because they fight a guy that way, a certain way, don't mean he's going to fight you that way. So you got to prepare yourself all the way around the board for it and just be ready by any means. And uh, and like I said before, when you come up in the amateurs, you, you fight in a tournament, you fight all the top guys, and you fight in five, six days, back to back to back to back to back to back. And you don't know who you're fighting. You could fight three tall people the first three days, and then you could fight two short southpaws the last three days. So you just gotta know how to adjust on the fly, and and that's that's what made uh make that's what make you great, and that's why a lot of fighters, uh, a lot of elite fighters, don't really watch tape because you know coming up in the uh in the amateurs, you find all the top guys every day, and just they all different shapes and sizes and styles. So is it fair to say that the reason you and the other elite fighters don't watch tape is because you don't want to see a guy fight a certain style and be like, oh, okay, that's the way he's gonna fight because it might hurt you. Uh, not, not, not necessarily just, that's just how I, how I was brung up and, you know, and I just stuck with me and I never, never really watched TV with any guys, anything. Yeah. Last thing from me, uh, Boots is that, you know, you mentioned your good buddy, Stephen Fulton, and obviously he came from a very tough area of Philadelphia to make himself a world champion. There's, you know, obviously from the Rocky movies, there is something so glamorous from any fighter from Philly. But for you, if you can explain it, what is it about being raised in Philadelphia that provides you that toughness and and does make, you know, what what we think of a Philadelphia fighter make it reality? Um, well, growing up in Philly, you know, you get to you see a, a lot of 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 violence. Uh just, you know, a lot of violence, uh bad things going on in Philly, but you know, you gotta some people can keep their head on street and get out you know, from being away from, I mean, get away from being around that stuff and uh, stay focused and stay locked in on their career and pursue their dream and stuff like that. Then you got others that fall into that. So, but at the end of the day, Philly make you tough period because you get to see a lot of things, uh, experience a lot of things. And that's, that's what make uh, Philly fighters so uh, tough and grit and make us want to win by any means. Cause we've seen it all and, you know, seen a lot of things. John, thank you so much for everything. Really appreciate it. We can't wait for your big night on Saturday on Showtime against Sergey Lipinets. And if you're not already, you can follow Jerron Ennis on both Twitter and on Instagram at Jerron Ennis. We appreciate the consistency in both the usernames, but we do need to get you that blue check mark on Twitter still. Yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. Uh, I'm waiting for it. Twitter guy getting my blue check. <laughs> All right, man. Take care and good luck. Thank you. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Lance, let's take a real quick pause here as we hear from one of our sponsors. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So yeah, we're excited for that fight. And real quick, BetMGM odds. We have Brutes Ennis minus 400 and Sergey Lipinets at plus 300. Obviously, got to go with Brutes here. I'm pretty confident he's going to get the victory. And I'm more intrigued to see just how well he looks, how he deals with adversity in his first big fight, and if he can get the stoppage. Yeah, Mike. I mean, obviously, I think the biggest thing and most important thing about Saturday night for Brutes Ennis is the platform. He's getting that Showtime main event. Uh, as we said from the first time that we first watched him fight, you can just see how tremendous the talent is. And when you have so many more people now, you know, checking him out, him out and pressing for him to be involved in these significant fights that he definitely is going to be deserving. I think it's going to be a great thing for Boots Ennis. He is a uh, star in the making, no doubt about it. And I think that the birth of that stardom begins on Saturday night on Showtime. And also, Lance, I like the co-feature because we're getting another rising welterweight in Stan Ionis, the 147-pounder from Lithuania who trains with Freddie Roach. He looks really good, and he's taking a step up too, fighting Thomas DeLorme. So, hey, if everything breaks right, maybe Stan Ionis versus Brutus Ennis is going to be a big fight in a couple of years. Absolutely, Mike. And I want to say one thing because you know what? I hate when uh, broadcasters will make a mistake on the air and then they won't pay attention to it. They will, they will never address it. So I'm going to admit to a mistake right now. When I did my top 25 fighters, uh, age 25 and younger, Staniosis is someone who definitely deserved to be on that list. He actually was on my uh, list and pin, but for whatever reason, I, I slotted some other guys above him and he kind of got obscured out. He, but I wanted to say that he should have been on that list. It was a mistake for him not to be on that list. And I think everyone is going to see that as well on Saturday night. Well, hey, look, at The Athletic, at least we here admit we have mistakes in our rankings. But um, moving on, um, you know, we have some more good fights coming up, Lance. We have Ryan Garcia, Javier Fortuna. I believe that's going to be officially announced tomorrow, tomorrow being Tuesday. And that's going to be in July. So I think that's a good fight because, again, like we mentioned on the show, what it does for Ryan Garcia, a young talent, it gives him another tough look, but also a different style to see. Luke Campbell is southpaw. And we have another southpaw now in Javier Fortuna. But the main difference is, is Campbell likes to box a difference, a distance. And Javier Fortuna is so awkward. He's wild, swinging, rugged, likes to pressure. So I think it's going to give Ryan another style to look at, another another thing to see, and really help his development. 
Yeah, a couple of things, Mike. Again, uh, great work um, uh, breaking that story. I mean, uh, it's obviously a key fight. Anything involving Ryan Garcia now is important. Um, but, you know, look, when we had Oscar De La Hoya on the show, uh, he almost made it sound like he wanted to, you know, put Ryan Garcia on this kind of like ceremonial world, world tour and avoid opponents like Javier Fortuna. So, look, I think that I don't know what the inner workings of this conversation were, but you have to believe that it came from Ryan Garcia that, look, I was tested against Luke Campbell. I want to continue to be tested against this complicated fighter. And good for him. I mean, it's exactly what he needs to further his development and get him to these fights that await him with all this talent at 135. Yeah, Lance, absolutely. And uh, also another fight that's in the works, uh, Jason Rosario and Erickson Lubin, they have agreed to a deal. I like that fight, 154 pounds. Really a crossroads fight. I think the loser's going to be in bad shape. Rosario's coming off the loss against Jermel Charlo. Uh, that was in September by knockout, former unified champion. And Erickson Lubin's been on a win streak, but he has he also lost to Jamel Charlo. That was the first round knockout. So when I say bad shape, I mean, look, I don't think losses are the biggest deal, but certainly it's going to be a while for the loser to get a title shot in the future. But uh, intriguing fight, and that's going to be in June, I'm told. Great, great fight. Um, I, I didn't like how boring Lubin was in his last fight against Terrell Gachet, and that was on the Charlo doubleheader. Or was it? It was around that uh, time, if I'm not mistaken. Was it on the doubleheader, Mike? Sorry, say that again? Was the Lubin fight on the on the Charlo doubleheader when he no, fought Gachet? No, okay. it was not. That was, yeah, a show, so, that was a Showtime main event, believe it or yeah. not. I, I didn't like the way that um, Lubin fought um, so boring when he defeated Terrell Gachet on uh, Showtime, you know, in September. But I think he is more active and more skilled than Rosario, who maybe is a, a little bit too reliant on his power. So I'm going to pick Lubin in that fight. And look, I think it sets up well for him to be a, a player to try to uh, beg for that rematch against Jermel Charlo. I mean, he's won some fights since then. Uh, we know that he's a, a very talented fighter. And, you know, even some people who have said, you know, like losing that fight by first round knockout, you know, it's not the it's not the worst thing in the world. It's, um, you know, it, it wasn't like you were beaten consistently over 10 rounds. It was a it was a big punch. If you can, uh, l you know, learn to lick your wounds and make yourself better as L Erickson Lubin has done, I think that would make for a, a pretty interesting fight moving forward. All right, everyone. And lastly, before we wrap up, Lance, can you give us some insight on this whole Oscar De La Hoya fighting on Triller and how that might affect his relationship with the zone? Because we've seen Oscar now. He's been very outspoken about how much he loves Triller. And I think it's raised a lot of eyebrows in the boxing industry. Yeah, it absolutely has, Mike. And, you know, look, we know Oscar. We've been, we've been in, in good Oscar's good graces. We've been in Oscar's bad graces over <laughs> the many years of covering him. And, you know, you just never know what you're getting. And I feel like the DAZN leadership is, is kind of now in the same situation. They, you know, here they are with basically one of their top promoters along with Eddie Hearn. And, you know, this is a guy they had to built this great relationship with and had a, a deals with a multi-fight deal with Canelo Alvarez with Oscar De La Hoya, De La Hoya intimately involved in the negotiations. And now, you know, he's going to be uh, staging a comeback fight on Triller, not the zone, you know, and I was um, uh, talking to some people in the industry. And what they said is like, it's more of a rolling of the eyes than it is a, you know, being upset with Oscar over at the zone. It's a it's a thinking of, you know, what the Ukrainian owner of the zone thinks of this. It's like, hey, you know, remember that guy 
that so recently cost us a lot of legal bills in, in dealing with nearly losing Canelo, and then we get him back, and now he's going to fight in another network. It's like, why even bring it up? Just just let him go. Let him go do his thing. It's Oscar being Oscar, and you know DAZN will, will stay in the Canelo business, and from DAZN standards, the Canelo business is a lot more lucrative than anything on the Oscar de la Hoya comeback tour. Interesting. Well, we'll see how that plays out. You know, Oscar still has a bunch of fighters with the zone and Ryan Garcia, Jaime Munguia and Virgil Ortiz and also Jojo Diaz. So we'll see if there's any fall off from that at all. But Oscar is pumping up Triller hard all over social media. And it's going to be interesting to see. And everyone, thanks again, as always. That's our show for today. We'll catch you again later this week as we preview all the big fights and much more. Yeah.